We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. win a game for your nation at the World Cup, here's a tip. Have the best players in the world. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Alex Smith. You me on Twitter. Inc. Gunner. Yeah, that's right. When you have Kylian Mbappe, when you have Lionel Messi, uh, you have a better chance of winning football matches. And the Mbappe of it all was on display again today for France. The Messi of it all, which, you know, there's always this dumb controversy around him for some reason because his bona fides are beyond question. His His resume is... Extraordinary. He's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. He might be the greatest player ever. I don't know that it's even that close when you get in the nuts and bolts of it, but this World Cup stuff hangs over him, and today he got a chance to score the winner, although uh, Enzo Fernandez flashing his wares to Arsenal as he scores a beautiful goal to make it 2-0. So we'll, we'll get to that, but I do want to first do the professional thing and introduce Phil, who you can find on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. How are we doing? We are doing well. Um, I think... <laughs> You know, it's it's it is tricky, right? Because like, once upon a time, at a certain point in my life, I would have just been in front of the TV for every single game from start to finish, especially depending on time zones. And so, trying to have my family understand that this holiday weekend is really just a chance for dad slash husband to be in front of the TV watching football nonstop, um, while mom has to handle the kids. Like it, it's going great. It's going as great as you would expect. And uh, yeah, really well, really well received. So there's that. I can imagine. I can mm-hmm. imagine you're you're in the good books this weekend. How was date night? Great. Uh, we pick? went to a Peruvian restaurant. I did pick my girlfriend. I did pick my girlfriend in the okay. end. Okay. Yeah, we went to a Peruvian restaurant, and then downstairs they had like a retro bowling alley. So we had a whale of a time. Who and now won? I'm back and ready to talk about Lionel Messi. Who won? Look, um, I'll, I'll take the diplomatic answer here and say, <laughs> if I speak, and say we I had a round trouble. each. If I speak, I'm in big, big trouble. <laughs> Touche. Um, all right. Well, before we, we get into today's game, since uh, I only had Paul to talk to about the game, you know, that's not going to satisfy. Do you have any quick thoughts on USA nil, England nil? You did pick Musa um, as a potential uh, player to watch in the tournament, and he was real good. Former Arsenal I did, and... I we spoke about it in in the kind of preview segment towards the end of Thursday's pod about the midfield about the US midfield and how that was going to be your your strength your superpower your way into the game and I thought they were excellent 
Um, again, yeah, Musa, Musa Adams and McKenney is a really nice blend of attributes. They kind of tick all the boxes of technical, physical, mental, and I just think that's a really good foundation for the US to build from. Look, it's not going to happen overnight. This is not going to be a, a World Cup winning team overnight, but that's a really promising young base to go off. And England were kind of retreating back into Euro Southgate um, conservatism. A few, a few signs of you know lacking a bit of something, and the substitutions didn't help. There may were maybe a couple of players that should have come off the bench. Um, and it just was a performance that lacked kind of urgency and and attacking flow, cohesion, compared to the first game, which was all about cohesion. And I think the US deserve credit because they, they absolutely played their part in that. And maybe with a couple of um, different moments going forward, Pulisic hit the post. There was another, you know, another couple of moments for them, McKenney firing over. Um, you know, it could have been a different story. And I think this was a, a, a wake-up call for England and maybe a necessary one. I don't think they're in in danger of, of, of falling out of the group stage, but... No, they're through. Um, but, um, you know, just, just just good to keep on your toes. And I think it was a good result for the US as well. I read an interesting comment. I can't remember who it was from, but I thought it was an interesting point that he couldn't see Pep Guardiola picking Jack Grealish over Phil Foden to change a game. Um you know, now look, Southgate can have a different idea about what's needed, and I get it. But some of the some of the decisions, I think, raise an eyebrow or two. I, I, my opinion, and people are probably sick to death of hearing it, really on a number of topics, but on this particular, is that I think Mason Mount would be a player that I'd be looking at. Um, but really, based on on what was kind of a just a soporific performance by England, I I think Southgate might opt to see it as, hey, we didn't view it as a must win the USA had more reason to go for it. And that's how it played out the way it did. As far as the USA performance, I think the reason I connected with it, Phil, is my goal isn't to see the United States sit in their defensive third, keep a team out, hit someone on the counter, and make it to the round, the knockout rounds. Like, yeah, I'd like them to make it to the knockout rounds. But really, if we're ever going to care in, in America about football, our, our national team in football long-term, it will be because there's a sense that we could win a World Cup. Now, I know it sounds ridiculous to say that, and the odds are very low, but if you're going to do that, it's going to be because you learn to play football with the ball, through the thirds, between the lines, with passing and technical quality. And this is the first time I can remember seeing the U.S., and I'm not a close watcher, admittedly, go up against a top-quality side and keep the ball and play one touch and have good distances and, and connect from defense to midfield to attack in a, in a flowing kind of way. And to be fair, Burhalter, who I've been very critical of, is the man who's sort of the architect of that, so you have to give him credit where it's due. The fact that he doesn't want to play Rainer or start Aronson, like, that's a, that's a micro issue, not a macro issue. So is that at least something that, as if you're interested in U.S. football, you look and you say, wow, this team can now not just be in a game with a, with a big footballing nation, but play the football. And I think that that's a big step in the right direction. I think you you mentioned it there about the mental hurdle of of feeling like the US can compete at this top table. I think you have a bit of an identity crisis when it comes to football. Mm-hmm. Um but you've absolutely got the players that can do it. We we saw it. We saw it in the first half against Wales, we saw it again against England yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of young talent. I mean, Musa's what, 19? Tyler Adams, 23. McKenny, 23, 24. You've got Serginho Dest, Anthony Robinson. That's a good young core to build. Giorena. Pulis- I mean, Giorena, Aronson, Aronson Pulisic. Yeah. I think the lack of, you know, the, the lack of quality for me is in both boxes. I think. Yeah. The, set, for the center sure. forward is an issue. Um, yeah, I know Josh Sargent's done well for Norwich this year, but he's not going to be the guy that can really take you up a level. And I think no. the center backs again serviceable, but ideally you'd like some some center backs coming out of MLS and playing in Europe. So those are the two areas for improvement. I, I think you need to be lucky with it with a gem coming through or a couple of gems coming through. But in terms of having a, a kind of a, a strong base some good leaders in that squad. I, you know, there's talent there. And I think having the chance to grow with each other, this group could, 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 I'm not saying they will, they could do something in the future, but it's all about finding the right coach and the, and the right mentality to then execute what you want to do on the pitch. Yeah. Unless you're Greece in the euros from a a, a while back, it's very, (laughs) very rare that you're just going to sit back and defend and Nick games and and Mm -hmm. win a tournament. And so this is the kind of football you have to play for, for England as a final question. Do you think Southgate might say, all right, you know what? Let me get a look at one or two other things in this last game. We're probably not going out. It would be nearly impossible, but I could see how Foden slots in, or I can see how, I was going to say Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's not going to pick him. So maybe it's someone else at fullback. I mean, there's a bevy of options he could go with. Let me see how, um, you know, a different pairing somewhere on the pitch changes the dynamic. I, I don't know who would come in from out, but I think there are options there. Could could we see him experiment a bit in this game to just maybe get a sense of, can I inject something into the side that's maybe a little missing? And re- realizing... They did score six and win in the first game. So, you know, it's not time to push the panic button. No, it's not. It's not time to put push the panic button, but they're also not through yet. I mean, I know they play Wales in the last game, but it would be so typical of them to pull out a performance just to make England upset. You know, that's... Wouldn't that's they need kind to of, lose by like four to go out though or something? Yeah, obviously the, you know, the stipulations are, are in their favour, but you know, Wales have a a difficult history w- with England and it would be so typical for them to say, look, even if our chances are slim, let's hurt theirs. You know, that's a rivalry. Mm-hmm. That, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, that's a rivalry. If you can't win, you bring someone else down with you. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think England will win the game. Wales have looked really poor. Um, and I think relying on on two players who are essentially past it is, is, well past is it, not yeah. working, mm-hmm. not working for them. I don't think Southgate will change much, but I did find his reasoning for not bringing Foden on quite strange. Um, considering he said he, d- he doesn't play there for city, but he literally brought him on in that position uh, against Iran. So I'm not sure what, what changed in those four days. Maybe he could switch it up, but I think he'll start with the same 11 again and say, look, prove to me that, that this game was just a, a bad evening, a bit of a blip, and and I trust you. You put six past Iran. You know, I don't have too many issues with that. I thought largely they were okay. Just a, just a little bit of spark was missing, but there will be some players on the bench with with some fire, with some fire in their stomachs. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, the final game for the USA, Iran. Like that's a, a winner, go home game. So all this good feeling means nothing if you don't beat Iran because. I think going into the tournament, if someone said, you have to beat Iran and you're through, it would have taken that situation. So now it's time to live up to it for England. 
Uh, my opinion is they're through, but let's see. Um, the France of it all. It, it is the case in tournament football that sometimes it's just about have a player who can be better than everybody else on the pitch, right? Like you don't always have to play better football because international football, and, and I, I don't think this tournament at whole, we've seen much really good football played. We've seen some great moments. I don't think we've seen great football. And I don't know that this game was played at a particularly high level. And maybe that's being a little unfair to France, but they have Kylian Mbappe. And oh, by the way, they have Usman, Usman Dembele. And in Dembele's current form, he looks like the Dembele that Barcelona went out and paid a fortune for. Obviously, injuries have blighted his career, but when fit, he's still one of the most exciting wide players in football. Mbappe is one of the most talented players in football, full stop. He and Holland, I think, are on the same level. Um, and, and there are times I think Mbappe is actually beyond him, but Holland not at this World Cup, obviously, to make the case for himself. Is that what this comes down to, that in the form that Dembele and Mbappe were in, in this game, they, they were just the difference? And, and ultimately, they get the 2-1 win as a result of it. That's how I saw it. I mean, it's what you said. They are just two unique prospects. I mean, Dembele, the way he can go on his right, on his left, so deceptive. He looks sharp. He looks fit where in the recent past he hasn't always done. I mean, injuries speak for themselves, his his history with the with the treatment table. But there was also a feeling that he wasn't handling himself in the most professional way. He spoke about staying up till 3 or 4 a.m. on his PlayStation, eating bad food. And I think something with Xavi has clicked. Um, a bit of a a sense of don't miss this opportunity because you have the talent to really do something. But on the opposite side, you know, Mbappe is, you know, it gets thrown around a lot. But for me, he is the generational talent. Um, and for me, even though Haaland is, is a phenomenon uh, you know, a freak at what he does. I think Mbappe is, is 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 ahead of him quite comfortably, and they needed someone to take that game today because it wasn't quite happening for them at, at times. You know, they just lacked a bit of final ball, and you know there were a few frustrating moments, and then he turns up and and makes the difference. I think you know the France midfield is not the ideal one. I think if Deschamps had his ideal midfield, this would not be it. But injuries have slightly forced his hand, and I and I kind of like what what Griezmann is doing. Too often in the first game, he was dropping way too deep. He was like stepping on Chuamani's toes, and I kept shouting at the screen, "Get away from him! You need to be closer to goal." And he seems to have cracked it. And I think that's really given France something extra in the final third because he's so intelligent in the way he moves, in the way he finds space, and also the. The introduction of Teo Hernandez, I mean, defensively, those who will have watched the game saw a couple of horrible defensive moments, mm-hmm. um, a couple inspired by a certain Jesper Lindstrom, yep. um, who was getting in behind him a couple of times. Of but scouting going video forward, fame. Yep. <laughs> of scouting video fame. and But going forwards, he's just such a different prop- proposition, such a different prospect to his brother, Luca. Um, and that's where the opening goal comes from. You know, all the eyes are on Mbappe. Hernandez goes in. It's a lovely ball back to him and he just gets there in front of the two defenders. And and that was kind of the moment they needed when the floodgates opened. And from then on, I know Denmark equalized, but there was only one winner in that game for me. It was just about how that winning goal was going to come. In the form Dembele's in and Kylian Mbappe is one of the best players in the world. If Karim Benzema is in this team, it's terrifying. I mean, you don't need to be good at anything else, but without... Benzema, and with all due respect to Olivier Giroud and everyone who, who knows me knows I've always given all due respect to Olivier Giroud, 
like he he's not Benzema. You got Mbappe and Dembele playing like two of the best wide players in world football, and then you add the Ballon d'Or winner up front. It, it would be a nightmare. It's not going to be that way. And Benzema is going to miss the whole tournament. Correct? That's he's out. Yeah, yeah, he's he's out. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it is what it is. I, I it's still kind of weird to me that Rabio starts for this team. Is is Camavinga just not? Am I? Is he not as good as I think he might be? Because I'm not a close Real Madrid watcher. I just know how highly regarded he was when he went to Madrid. He is, but. You need you need some kind of stability there in the middle, and Camavinga likes to break. He likes to go, and I think mm. Rabio is playing a very specific tactical role, which we've seen Matuidi play in the past for Deschamps. Just a a threat in the penalty area from set pieces. He knows when to go, knows when to stay, and to be fair, he's he's played well this season in general for Juve. So I think on merit he maybe deserves to be there as a more senior head alongside Chuamani, who might um, need some help every now and again. Although I mm. think over the, the two games, he's been really good so far. I don't think it's an issue of Kamavinga being not as good. I just think Deschamps needs some seniority in midfield and Rabio with Kante out, with Pogba out. I think he kind of fulfilled that that criteria. Yeah, for, for Denmark, obviously a team that a lot of people had a lot of faith in coming off the way they performed in the Euros. They're now not sitting in the best situation, obviously. Time for a rethink. I mean, they reshuffled up front, and there were some good moments here. I mean, they weren't outclassed mm-hmm. by France, I don't think, although when it comes right down to it, it, you know, in final adjudication, I think France did outshoot them comfortably. France went 2.58, expected goals to 0.77. It was 21 shots to 10. You, you know, I mean, and I know stats don't tell the whole story. But Denmark were in this game, but, but where do they go now? I mean, is this... I don't think people would have expected them to beat France coming into this game necessarily, but they're they're in a precarious position now. They are, but it's it's kind of all or nothing in the last game, right? They have to they have to win against Australia, and why not? Why can't they? I think, like you said, they weren't exactly outplayed. They just lacked quality in the final thirds. I thought their general progression of the ball was a bit slow again. And for me, their superpower, as we mentioned, was was getting the ball up, up the pitch and quickly in the Euros with their wing backs and everyone bombing forward. You know, they had some moments, but I just think France are a better team. I think defensively they they were strong. And, you know, today was was all about Mbappe. I mean, it's it's quite absurd when you, you go through the stats. I mean, that's seven World Cup goals in, in nine World Cup appearances now. 14 in what his last he, 12 for France. <laughs> 23. He's already got 31 goals for France and he's level with Zidane, you know, and he's 23. Yeah. Um, and this is, it's a huge shame because I, I, I like Ligon. I appreciate the talent that can come from this league, but the fact that he's not, you know, elsewhere and challenging consistently for the Champions League and other major honours is a, is a bit of a travesty. So, and I don't want him to fall down a, a difficult path because some some signs have been there over the last six to twelve months that maybe, yeah. you know, there have been some signs of a of an attitude or or some selfishness, particularly at PSG with Neymar and that whole beef. Well, and um, to be and fair, he also getting getting booed by fans in Paris. Mm-hmm. You know, like the best player for your nation getting booed. Like I, I can understand how he'd suddenly be like, "What the heck is going on here?" You know, like what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, but. You know, for me, there's no doubting that this is genera- a generational talent, and I don't think this will be the last game at the tournament. He he is single handedly deciding. Well, 
France are through. So we'll be talking about them a lot more. Uh, we'll skip over to the other group for a minute. We got to talk about the Argentina-Mexico game because when you had the chance to talk about a game that ended 0.29 expected goals to <laughs> 0.22 expected goals, where there were nine shots combined, three shots on target, five for Argentina, four for Mexico in total, you just have to talk about that game. But the reason you have to talk about that game, of course, is because you get the Lionel Messi goal, the winner, the moment he needed, I think, to just take all the stress and pressure out of this. Now, it's going to be ratcheted back up in the final group game, but this this sense that Messi has a responsibility to do it all for Argentina, he did it in a moment where there was nothing on, but then Enzo Fernandez puts a little cherry on top with a, with a sensational moment, individual brilliance of his own. So I'm almost tempted to start with Mexico here, Phil, just because th- this was set up to be a dreadful game. Mexico set up, I don't think, to really play a heck of a lot of football. They didn't play a heck of a lot of football. I think I think Mexico fans, and I am not a Mexico fan, but if I were one, I think I'd be super frustrated by the way the team approached this game. Um, and, and it was a nothing affair at halftime. That XG was actually 0.06 to 0.17. I mean, I guess you could say the game plan was working for Mexico, but it was, it was eye-bleedingly boring for about 70 minutes. A really low-quality match, genuinely. I mean... I, I thought Argentina would have had a relatively easy time getting through the group stages. You know, they were just coming off the back of a huge un, unbeaten run. I think 36 matches it was, you know, and Messi was in great form for PSG, but they just, they, they're such an eyesore and I didn't expect it. I mean, the, again, Scaloni made five changes from the first game, but the the balance in midfield was just weird again. And they were playing Alexis McAllister on the left and it was just like, what is, what is happening here? They couldn't control or sustain any kind of pressure. I mean, Rodrigo de Paul, that was a, a hall of hall of shame performance. I mean, that was he stinks. He couldn't. He stinks. Yeah, yeah, he was terrible. And I've seen him play better than that, but it just looked like everything he was doing in this game was wrong, and it was. <laughs> he um, <stinks. laughs> And I, I, the same kind of problem with Portugal, what we spoke about, they just lacked any kind of runs in behind or penetration. I mean, Di Maria is not that player anymore. Lautaro Martinez is not that type of centre forward. He's more of a Gabriel Jesus, likes the ball to feet centre forward. Messi is definitely not that player anymore. Um, and you saw, you know, what happens when Julian Alvarez comes on. They have a bit of penetration from Enzo Fernandez. I mean, Guido Rodriguez, oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. Just one line through the thirds, one pass through the thirds, please. Um, well, you, you know what Fernandez, I thought was interesting. You know, in in this game, Phil. To your point about playing through the thirds, the opposite of what we were talking about with the USA England game. Everything was a carry. Everything was a mm-hmm. carry from both teams, really. But from Argentina, there was no attempt to pass the ball between through the mm-hmm. lines. You know, from between the thirds, like or, or through the thirds, it was just get the ball, try to carry it past two Mexican players into the attacking third. Whether it's a fullback or a midfield, it was just get the ball and carry it and carry it to its destination. I mean, yep. uh, we should just rename the Argentine national team UPS because it seemed like their job was to just carry the ball to its destination and deliver it at the feet of whoever it was supposed to go to next. And that's just not going to work. You're not going to unlock defenses that way or pick the lock. And yeah, th- just the individualism about how they played was was really striking to me. I don't know if, if I've seen that wrong, but that's what I was seeing. Yeah. 
but also just whenever Messi got the ball, no one was was near him ever. No. You know, and he's not the he's not the player anymore that's gonna take on two, three, four, five guys and you know, make First the perfect pass, defense yeah. splitting pass. You know, he needs some help. Um, and I just found them so disjointed and lacking any kind of urgency in possession, you know, their distribution, even in their movement, it was so slow and laborious. And I thought, really? Is this how Argentina are going to go out? Like genuinely? Um, but like you said, you could feel, you know, Messi strokes that into the corner. He finally gets some space, you know, on the edge of the box and he, and he plants it in the corner and you could feel the weight just draining from from everybody, not just Messi, not just the the players, but the fans, the coaching staff. I mean, there was that clip of Pablo Aymar almost in tears and taking breaths, you know, because he, he needed a release for for just that enormous amount of stress. And, you know, they started playing after that. They started playing after that. And I think the goal helped, but also the substitutions helped. You know, I, Alvarez actually trying to run in behind Enzo Fernandez you know, competence in midfield. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously again, crowning, crowning the game with that wonderful goal. I mean, soft feet, beautiful finish. And he's going to earn Benfica a lot, a lot of money next summer because he's, he's probably the next big midfielder, I think coming through. Yeah. Well, as far as Mexico goes, uh, I don't think Tata Martinez wants to be coaching the Mexican national team. I don't think the Mexican fans want him to be coaching the Mexican <laughs> national team. So uh, it's a match made in heaven, maybe. But what uh, what do you see from from Mexico going forward here? Because they need to come up with something in the final group game, and it's against Saudi Arabia. That they're they're not out, but they just feel like a team that has no mojo right now. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm. We spoke about their lack of. Their lack of quality in the final third. I mean, Herving Lozano is, is a good player, um, but beyond that, they don't have much. And we saw Raul Jimenez today just looking a shadow of his former self. And I mean, that's not um, his own fault, really. He had a traumatic you know, head injury, brain injury. So that's, that's going to have an effect on anybody. And they just seem to lack a bit of star power. You know, it's, it's nothing more than that. I just think mm. they're their famous generation of Andres Guardado, you know, Hector Herrera, they're getting on, you know, uh, Rafa Ochoa, Marquez. Rafa Marquez, well, Marquez is going back a, a bit, but you know, Ochoa, <laughs> it, it's going to be his, his last, <laughs> it's going to be his last world cup. And I just think they, they need some new players to come through. Um, it's normal international football. It's, it's very easy to see when it's the end of a cycle. It's not so easy at club level because things are changing every season, but when you can yeah. see it, at international level, it's very clear. And I think Mexico fall firmly into that category. Yeah, I think that's well put. As far as Argentina goes, can you, I mean, this is a loaded question. Can you see them doing anything at this tournament? Because like watching them in these first two games, the the disjointed, disconnected nature of how they play, Messi not being prime Messi, I mean, he's still so good. I don't think, I don't think they can just do it this way and, and make noise at the tournament. But if Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez start playing more and you know you get a little more of that flair in the team, like we said about France, sometimes just having one or two of the best players on the pitch in, in international football can be enough. So too early to write them off. They are going to have to go and, and, and win their last game to get through, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it, it's too early. And I hope Scaloni kind of learns his lessons from these opening two games. You know, I think his best players are there. They've pre- presented themselves. Um, 
you know, I think Lataro Martinez is still his starting striker, but please sort the midfield. Oh my God. Like every time I watch them, you know, DePaul should not be starting in the next game. Guido Rodriguez should not be playing in the next game. Put mm-hmm. McAllister central alongside uh, Enzo Fernandez and get, get a more natural wide player out on the, on the wing. You know, it's just, it doesn't feel difficult, but they've made it difficult. And um, there's only so long you can rely on Messi. You need to build the foundations around him to get the best out of him. And I, and I don't feel they've done that yet. So look, it's too early. I don't see them as one of the favourites. Um, but you, you never know. You never know in, in tournament football. But based on what we've seen, that's not a team who know their roles, who know, you know, the automatisms, should we say. It just feels <laughs> very mixed. We shall very, see. very disjointed and... Let's see what they can conjure up for, for match day three. But there are some lessons to be learned from today, I think, for Scaloni. No question. Saudi Arabia fall 2-0 to Poland in a game that Saudi Arabia, I think, were the better side. Um, they deserve mm-hmm. a lot of credit for the way they played in the first two games. They don't get anything out of it in this game, though, um, in part thanks to Poland getting two goals, but in part thanks to Wojciech Chesney with a great double save, penalty save, and then the rebound brilliantly tipped over. And I, I joked on Twitter that it seems like every time I turn on a game, everybody who's ever played goalkeeper for Arsenal is starting in this tournament other than Arsenal's first-choice goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, pet, pedant Twitter did not enjoy that and brought up people like Bird and Leno and things like that, but the pedantry... You're is not allowed to make jokes on Twitter, Elliot. Come on. I mean, you've been here long the enough. things I make on Twitter are barely jokes anyway, but uh, yeah, it's it's Chesney that saved the game, and, and maybe the story of the game, sure, Poland keep their World Cup alive, but Saudi Arabia are legit. That That's a legit team. And they're going to go into the final game uh, against Mexico feeling like they have a good chance to, to book a ticket to the next round. I've been impressed. Really, really impressed. Uh, for me, they were the better team, like you said. Their energy levels, their physicality, it's very measured, but they kind of play on the line, which I like. Their press is really, really well coordinated, you know, and that, mm. that's, that's a testament to Herb Renard, the coach, because... There's, there's not a lot of time to implement a, a good press at international level. And for a team like Saudi Arabia to be doing it is, is, is really impressive. So, I mean, fair play. I think they, they deserve credit for, for how they've approached these games. I think ultimately their, their lack of attacking quality is, is leaving them short. Um, and speaking of attacking quality, guess who has it? Poland, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. it's not rocket science. Um, you know, I think you I mean, mean rocket surgery. It's brain science. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But, uh, you know, the, the first goal is an excellent piece of play from Lewandowski. I mean, he's he's forced very wide. Goalkeeper comes out. But just the, the kind of the presence of mind, the coolness, it was like he was the only man in the box, you know, and he has the the awareness to pick out Zielinski there for, a, for an easy finish. Um, and obviously the second goal kind of a momentous occasion for him, his first World Cup goal, finally at age 34. Um, kind of gifted a little bit. The defender just panics and he he loses the ball in the 18-yard box, you know, finishes well. And you could see what it meant to him. I mean, it's not a, he's not an, a, an emotional guy. You don't really see too much emotion from him, but you could you could see that the walls come down there. Yeah. Um, but like you said, incredible, incredible double save to to keep that game in Poland's favor. I mean, if you haven't seen it, go and go and find it because the penalty save is a good one, but the, the spring and 
the speed in which he gets out to that rebound. You know, that's what they practice every day in training for. It's it's brilliant, genuinely mm-hmm. brilliant. That's a six foot five man, <laughs> you know, and he, <laughs> you know, it's, it's supposed to be clunky uh, and that was anything but, and it's excellent to get the tip on it just goes over i mean the, the way the saudi arabia striker you know falls to his knees in disbelief is is brilliant and i, be, I bet his post-match cigarette in the shower was like tasted better than it hit ever different hit different <laughs> <laughs> do cigarettes taste I, I don't know um all right well look poland now in a position where they are top of the group actually but they face Argentina next and can find mm-hmm. themselves in a situation, despite being top of the group, where if they lose to Argentina and Saudi Arabia beat Mexico, they're out. So this this group has the proverbial all to play for because nobody's eliminated yet. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, it makes you know nobody's through and nobody's nobody's eliminated. So it'll be fun to see what happens. Australia beat Tunisia one nil. The game I did not see at four a.m. Not going to pretend I did see it. But it's a nice header. I saw the goal to, to win brilliant, it. A brilliant header. Yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. really good header. Yeah. Anything the else? Technique no. is. I mean, yeah. I mean, the header. You know, to not. It's a brilliant piece of improvisation. Not to just get it close to the goal, but also nestle it into the corner. I mean, the the neck power needed for that is is really impressive. It kind of reminded me of. Um, there was one of you know a while ago now, which Javier Hernandez scored for Manchester United. A kind of back back header and I thought wow that was you know a really good piece of play but ultimately Australia they feel like a side that know their limitations mm-hmm. um, and in some way that's admirable but also they don't really show much else um, Tunisia with a bit of you know a bit of composure some better finishing in the final third I think this is a different story um, but you know it's a, for Australia it's a, a huge win for them and, and with Denmark to play in the last game who knows I mean, they, both teams have to win, and that's the best kind of match day three. You know, that's that's the best. It's time. a big win for Denmark too, right? Because I think that's the result they probably would have asked for. Because now it gives them a straightforward beat Australia, and you're probably mm-hmm. almost certainly through. There's almost no yeah. scenario where beating Australia doesn't put Denmark through. So they're they're left in a reasonable position by that uh, result. So let's look ahead to tomorrow before we get out. Of Sorry, here. can I can I just yeah. say there was one incredible incredible challenge from harry sutar in this game i mean he was oh, like okay. a, a man mountain he was a colossus um and <laughs> he this. plays for stoke so we're not allowed mm-hmm. to say good things about people that play for mm-hmm. stoke but mm-hmm. he there was one challenge and i think i heard it here in berlin um and it was brilliant <laughs> it was brilliant he's a massive man and that was a massive challenge uh, and right. i enjoyed it very much there you go that's what you missed if you if you skip that game you can go back and try to find the video of that one and i would recommend finding the video of the header tomorrow we get to see if costa rica are as bad as costa rica were against spain when they take on japan we get to see croatia and canada in the do we call it the manscape ba- the, the the manscape match of the tournament they're the battle of balls i'll i'll get into that in a moment we get to see belgium morocco and spain germany Let's start with the headliner. The last of the matches, Spain-Germany, two teams that will be coming in feeling very differently. Spain having dominated Costa Rica, Germany having lost to Japan. They must win this game. And it's, it's an interesting one because I think there will be the tendency to say, well, do we know if Spain are very good because of the way they dominated Costa Rica? But the way they dominated Costa Rica, they looked like Spain, right? So we expect that they're probably going to look like that again. 
might Germany profit from playing against a team that wants to play with the ball more? What, what's your initial guess on what we might see between Spain and Germany? I think Germany would prefer to have the ball, um, but against Spain, it's almost impossible to to get it. And not only to get it back, but to keep it because they're pressing very targeted, very quick. And I think Germany actually have the players to be able to play on the counter-attack. I mean, I would drop Havertz, um, first of all. Uh, I would just have Musiala through the middle and then have Gnabry and Sane on both flank and say, look, just yeah. try and get behind whenever you can. Um, they've even got people like Kari Madiemi on the bench, who is a, you know, he's a lightning bolt. Um, just head down, run close to goal, please. So they have players that can hurt hurt Spain. I've got no doubt about that. It's just whether they can stave off the the other dominance <laughs> long enough to to be able to hurt them um, effectively, if that makes sense. Because Spain just they just get you there, and they they're like a snake strangling and suffocating their you know their prey, uh, their dinner basically. You know. Mm-hmm. Even if you escape a couple of times, mentally it's exhausting to follow them. And I, I don't trust Germany enough defensively, particularly on the on the first showing that we saw against Japan, um, with the freedom, the fluidity that Spain have in Ferran Torres, Daniel Mo, Asensio, you know, all of these players that just oh, it's a joy to watch, really. Um so I don't I, look, it's Germany at the end of the day, they will have talent to beat them. It's whether they can really turn the screw because Spain, they look they look like Spain. They look serious under Luis Enrique. And I think they've got the best manager in the tournament. This could be one of those weird things, though. If Germany beats Spain, we could have one of those groups with three teams finishing mm-hmm. on six points, right? Because if Japan beat Costa Rica, they'd be on six. If Germany beat Spain, they'd both be on three, Spain and Germany. Mm-hmm. Germany then goes and pounds Costa Rica. They're on six. Japan loses to Spain and Spain's on six. So that is in play if Germany can win. If Germany can't win, they're almost certainly out. So it will be a fun game. I mentioned the balls thing in Croatia-Canada. This is actually a thing. So uh, Canada's coach said, pardon my language, fuck Croatia. (laughs) Literally, Croatia put a picture of him on the cover of one of their tabloids with a tiny little maple leaf over his what are presumed to be tiny privates. I didn't see any of this. Oh yeah, and they said they stripped him naked, put him on the cover and said, he's got the mouth, but does he have the balls with a tiny maple leaf over Very good. Or intended to be tiny privates. And then uh, in back in Canada, their tabloid put a picture of two soccer balls with a maple leaf over it, basically saying like, we know we've got the balls. Um, So it, the ads write themselves yeah the ads write themselves that's why i said it i i mean i've been (laughs) led down this primrose path i don't think i had a choice but let's face it it sets it up now to be really really spicy and i think canada have made their life a little bit difficult here because they were the better team against belgium and i think absolutely sort of quietly gone about their business everybody's talking about them and how good they were they were very unlucky not to win they have the talent to go out and beat Croatia, an aging Croatia that I don't think looked particularly impressive in their opening match. But now they've added this spice to it. And I just wonder if you think these are the kind of mind games where it's a stroke of genius or making your life unnecessarily difficult. I I, I must admit, I had no idea that any of this was bubbling away in the background. And I'm really happy because this is what you need you know, tournament football can be so cagey and nervous and, and you need a bit of something to give these games, you know, an added edge. So I'm really glad that this is happening. 
and also because it means a lot for the group, right? Um, you know, I'm I I after the first game I've got a little soft spot for Canada now. I'm you know, I think I appreciated the way they played, the bravery in which they came out against Belgium. Um and I thought they were unlucky. So I I would I would love for them to win actually. I, I've got a real a draw is okay, to be fair, for them. Absolutely, I mean, it's okay. If they feel Absolutely. they can beat Morocco, and mm-hmm. if they think Belgium can just not lose to Croatia, a draw is okay for them. But I almost feel like they put themselves in a position now where they have to go out and, and take the game to Croatia. I, these the, You never know what mind games are going to do. Are they going to fire a team up? Are they going to be a distraction? Are they just going to be narrative that we like to talk about? I, I think just on the balance of how they played in their first games, Canada should otherwise, mind games aside, be more than a match for Croatia here. Totally. Um, and I think that we've said it before, That's they've got the blueprint. They, they've played really well. They, it was a very tactical, nuanced performance, exploiting the Belgium weaknesses. And I think, you know, we spoke about an aging Belgium. Croatia also have an, uh, an aging, um, you know, Luka Modric is, is kind of timeless. But in general, their squad is, is in a weird place. It's either really old or really young with nothing in between. So look, why not? Why not? I think, look, the goal scoring is going to be the issue for them. We saw it, how how many shots were ballooned over or snatched at or just the final ball not being quite right. They missed a penalty as well, don't forget. But, you know, I just think they have kind of, they're in a really good position of having nothing to lose. It's their first World Cup in however many years. Good young players coming through, go for it. Really go for it. And I think if they could replicate that level of performance, why not? Why not? As for Belgium, does he need to change it? They were so bad in the first game. They just looked slow. They looked so leggy. Mm-hmm. Like, should he, like, should Trossard maybe start over Eden Hazard or, or, you know, someone play over? I mean, you're not going to, I mean, De Bruyne will have a better game. There's no question in my mind. But Hazard mm-hmm. to me just, he does not look like he's at the level. So he would be one that I think might be in the, might be in the crosshairs for selection. Is that the change that, that could be coming? I think it could come. I don't think it will, though. Um, I don't know. I just feel like Roberto Martinez is kind of the veterans of the hill that he's dying on in this team. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be there for much longer. So either way, I'm, I'm not sure he's too focused on youth coming through. Um, you know, against Morocco, they will feel like Canada was a blip. And I think they'll get on the ball and try to dominate things a bit more. I don't know if Morocco will be so pressy as Canada were. Um, I think they'll be more defensive and and try to catch them on the break. So let's see. I don't expect Belgium to repeat that kind of performance. But even on the bench, you look and there's not much there. Um, You know, it's a shame. It's a shame, really. But without Lukaku... Um, you know, De Bruyne, they need him to have a better game than he did. But in, in general, I, I don't see them um, as, a, as a major threat for the other teams in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think it's, it's a shame because I, I kind of like the Belgium team, or at least to some extent, I, you know, I've liked them and, and would have liked to see this golden, golden generation is such a cliche, but it really was a heck of a golden generation. Like do, do something a little bit more than, than they've managed to do ultimately. But I I just think yeah I I think they're they're past their moment for lack of a better way of saying it so we'll see what happens oh another good day of football ahead and uh, another World Cup daily ahead which is really what we care about here so um 
yeah, our midfield scouting video is up. You can watch that on Patreon if you want. There's going to be a main Arsenal Vision podcast on Monday along with the World Cup Daily. So it'll be a two-pod day, and we'll just keep going and going as long as the football's going and going. And I don't know, maybe we'll do like a a, a rewatch of an Arsenal friendly or something, you know, something really, really that, that shows that we have our priorities in order. Uh, we'll leave it there. Lewis will be joining us, I think, tomorrow, actually. So we'll look to welcome him back. And for Phil, uh, he will be here every day. He has no choice. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil Costa. Help me. Help me. <laughs> uh, no. no one's coming. No one's coming. Please. Yeah, it's true. You're here <laughs> no forever. No. Yeah. It's Thank like the you. Hotel See you California. tomorrow. Except it's the Hotel California. It's a, uh, of a football podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. And we love you. And we'll talk to you after your country town. the country knows. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.